Hello, folks. The fall season will soon be upon us, and that means school for the little ones. Halloween, all the other frightening things that happen as the nights grow longer. Don't miss the latest episode of Fear from the Heartland with Paul J. McSurley with new episodes premiering on Wednesdays. And of course, don't forget Horror Hill with Eric Peabody, Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and Drew Blood's Dark Tales. You can find them all at simplyscarypodcast.com, on YouTube, or your favorite podcasting service. Be sure to visit chillingtalesfordarknights.com website and become a patron and hear extended episodes from our vast audio archive. Slow down just a little bit and join us for a scary good time. We're waiting for you. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 13, Episode 18. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Dominic Eagle. Tonight we'll hear stories of possessed paintings, maddening meadows, crazed clocks, and seeing without sight. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first spine-tingling story. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail, so lock your doors Turn your lights down low and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Rod Serling, he of Twilight Zone fame, wasn't just about showing things that lay within another dimension. No, sometimes he told us tales about paintings that could disturb the mind, haunt your dreams, and bend your sanity into knots no one could untangle. Well, imagine another gallery, if you will, where the issues are not what the paintings look like, but what they might do to you. Without further ado, I present to you Unguarded. I want the job, I said. It was two years ago, but I can vividly recall that interview. The innocence of those four words. My befuddled reaction to Amy Andrews, the gallery owner, whose questions unsettled me. Her composure never waned. Are you a spiritual man, Mr. Hall? Miss Andrews asked. Yes, I answered. Are we talking about the art? I can't say I'll be able to give philosophical or religious insights. <laughs> Don't worry, Miss Andrews replied, smiling. I'm not trying to trip you up. In a way, my question does relate to the paintings, but perhaps not in the way you might expect. You know, I was a police officer for many years before working as a security guard at the embassy, I said. I have plenty of references. The gallery owner raised a hand, smiling politely. I've seen your CV. I promise uh, that you don't have to fight for your corner, Mr. Hall. I know you're physically capable, but this job takes a toll on a mental level. I nodded my head ignorantly, believing that I understood her. I know, I work many solo night shifts at the embassy, but I can handle it. That's not what I mean, she replied. Do you know why my gallery exhibits a permanent display of my sister's artwork? To honor her memory, I said. I saw that news clip a couple of years ago about her admittance to the local psychiatric ward. Harper Andrews, right? I'm sorry. It must have been tough on your family. Not as tough as Harper found it, Miss Andrews replied. Her artwork tells the story of her decline into sickness. Not sickness of the mind, but sickness of the soul. She faced something and captured it in these paintings to protect humanity. Hearing her speak, I thought Amy seemed just as unwell as her sister, but I would soon learn that that was no delusion. Every night on the job is terrifying. None so much as the first. 
and I'll never forget Miss Andrews' parting words as she walked out the door. At night, the paintings must be closely guarded. Left unobserved for too long, they can, well, just make sure you keep watch. What is this? Night at the museum? Amused, trying not to chuckle. No, far worse than fiction. My first hour of my shift was blissfully mundane, basking in the blue glow of the gallery's security lighting, a disturbing painting eyeballed me from the far wall. It depicted a lanky, pencil-thin man with frightfully long legs and a pair of white eyes that seemed to follow me around the room, as all freakish eyes in paintings do. As I strolled around the gallery, following Miss Andrews' strict rule of regularly observing the paintings, I took a closer look at the white-eyed man. I shivered at his janky jaw, which hung abnormally loosely. He wore jet-black trousers, but his monstrous bony torso was shirtless, and he was the farthest a man could be from looking human. I stopped to read the plaque beneath the painting of the haunting figure. The exactor, the one who exacts torture, belongs to break free. He will devour mankind. I hurried past the painting, reasonably certain that no one would ever dream of stealing artwork so horrifying. No need to guard it too closely. But the paintings didn't exactly become more choice as I continued my round. They were petrifying. I should have given them more than a cursory glance before applying for the job position. Another portrait portrayed a young girl no more than ten years of age who wore a bright red pinafore, plaited brunette hair, and a blank face. Not figuratively. Blank. In place of eyes, a nose, or even a mouth, there was only skin. Taut flesh, painted with smooth brush strokes that made Harper's intentions abundantly clear. The artist had not mistakenly smudged the face. She had purposefully neglected to give the little girl any features. Harper's youth dies. As we age, we slowly come to life. We sin. They know that. They know everything. There were also numerous paintings of dreadful scenes. Cities in ruin, the end of the world, endless infernos of melting flesh, and the dead seemed to be the lucky ones who were offered a swift mercy. The survivors in the apocalyptic paintings were tortured in gory, gruesome ways by horrid, inhuman men like the one in the first painting. I usually have a strong stomach, but something about those paintings filled me with sickening dread. The apocalyptic art seemed so visceral. Whilst I viewed the paintings, I was convinced I could actually hear the screams of the last humans on Earth. I thought I felt the heat of the flames on my skin. I even believed I saw the exactors move. And then there was a painting of the art gallery itself. The plaque read, Prison. They entered our world, so I locked them here. Feeling suitably terrified, I scurried to the sofa by the gallery's entrance, retreating from the horrors I'd witnessed. The exhaustion of that jam-packed day finally hit me. It was only when I sat down that a wall of fatigue walloped me. I don't even remember eyelids closing, but I remember them opening. 
An hour later, a thrumming sound startled me awake. I twisted my head to see it was only my phone vibrating, and I chuckled in relief. I opened the message from Kara, my wife, welcoming the distraction from my isolated, soundless night shift. However, it was an odd message. Kara, I was telling my mom about your new job, and she said you should look for another one. Apparently, there were always adverts for the position online, and her friend's husband had a nervous breakdown after working only one shift. He won't talk to anyone about what happened. There was another thrumming sound, but it wasn't my phone. It was a muffled voice. My head snapped up in time to catch a silhouette vanishing behind one of the gallery walls. I managed to stifle a scream, but I lost my composure and climbed up. I contemplated running out of the gallery, but something stopped me, and it wasn't the prospect of being fired. It was those paintings of Armageddon. It was Amy Andrews' warning. I rose to my feet using the flashlight on my phone to eliminate the dim gallery. That muffled sound repeated, haunting me. A ghostly groan of some emotion I couldn't quite place. When I rounded the first corner, I found myself facing something utterly inexplicable. The girl from Harper's Youth Dies. A young version of Harper, minus any facial features. I trembled on the spot as she took clunky steps toward me with frail, fragile legs. She continued to groan, seemingly speaking beneath a flesh that covered her entire face. I can't understand you. I whispered in horror as the ghastly girl stopped in front of me. Then, driven by a frightful force beyond my control, I found myself leaning forward. My cheek started to twist to the side, allowing my ear to plunge through the phantom pool of the girl's face. I screamed silently, terrified to find that I was unable to move my body or utter a sound. With my ear beneath the flesh on Harper's horrendous, featureless face, I could finally hear the words the malformed ghost had been repeating in a distorted cry. Why did you close your eyes? My body was suddenly hurled to the floor, and the little girl fled into the shadows. I shot to the far wall of the gallery, and I found that my gut had achieved the impossible. It sank into a deeper realm of fear. He was gone. The exactor was a blank canvas. The horrible entity had escaped its painting. Harper's disembodied voice whispered beside my ear, stopping my heart for a second. Find him. I looked up at the ghostly girl's painting. Harper had returned to the canvas, but she was adopting a different pose. Her index finger was pointing at the painting of the art gallery. Prison. I saw what she had noticed. Behind one of the painted windows on the empty top floor of the building, that inhuman man stood and watched me. And then his petrifying painted form flitted out of sight. Legs shaking, I walked across the gallery to the set of stairs in the back corner of the room. They led to an out-of-bounds floor. Miss Andrews made that abundantly clear, but she also made it clear that I had to keep my eyes on the artwork, and I failed at that, so I didn't really have any options. I had to go upstairs to clean up my mess. Quivering, 
I crept up the creaky wooden steps to a floor that was littered with unhung paintings. The frames were shrouded in white sheets, and at the far end of the room, illuminated only by the moonlight that poured through the murky glass panes, I saw something truly terrifying. The exactor. He stood as tall as the ceiling, and his large form was crouching over an uncovered painting. As I crept closer, I saw what had captivated the terrible creature. It was one of Harper's apocalyptic landscapes, depicting a world in flames. The exactor was melding its shriveled, unclothed arm with the canvas, much as young Harper sank my ear through her flesh. However, as I approached the abomination, casting my flashlight upon him, its flesh started to sizzle, and it unleashed a hideous hissing sound. At first, I thought the light was hurting it, but then I realized it had become aware of the guard's watchful eyes upon it. I finally realized the power of keeping watch. I knew why I was there. Cast it away, Harper's voice whispered. How? I cried. The man spun around and I screamed at the sight of his wretched white eyes. They were worse in the flesh, and he was far larger than he appeared in the painting. The entity lunged at me, coiling its bony hands around my neck and squeezing the light out of my soul. I slipped into darkness, and the exactor unleashed a howl that sounded like a boat's horn. Tell it to return to its cell, Harper croaked. Tell it that you won't stop looking at it until it does what you say. I wheezed, watching flickering images in the exactor's blank eyes. Prophecies of direful destruction. A fiery vision of mankind's end at the hands of this terrifying apparition and his demonic army. He intended to scare me. But the thought of such a horrific future only motivated me to keep my eyes open. I won't stop, I said, choking, until you stop. In human flesh burning beneath the weight of my vision, the exactor screeched in fury. I thought all hope had been lost. I thought the world might be already doomed. If I'd passed out, I would have left the demon unguarded and free to torture the world. But... In some favorable twist of fate, it released my neck and I fell to the ground. It, too, must have been close to death, unable to bear my gaze a moment longer. It disintegrated before my eyes, fleeing the room in an airborne pool of black paint. I crawled downstairs. The canvases were filled with paint once more. Everything was back in its place. Of course, the strangest thing is that I didn't hang up my hat. I didn't call it a day. When Miss Andrews came to the gallery at six in the morning, she seemed fully prepared to watch another traumatized guard quit the job. But I couldn't, not after seeing the exactor's apocalyptic desire. Too much was at stake. One particular evening, about four months ago, a text conversation with my wife took an unsettling turn. Kara, you can quit the day job, surely. You're making plenty of money from the gallery. Me. Oh, you just want to spend more time with me. You love me. Kara. Well, it is a little suspicious that you spend so much time away from home. Have you got another woman on the side, eh? Amy's hot in a squint-your-eyes kind of way. Me. There's a higher chance of me hooking up with one of Harper's demons.
Kara. That reminds me, I just bought one of her paintings. Couldn't resist. I should have told my wife about my work. I should have told her about the terrible nature of the things I guard. After reading her message, I hurriedly rang her. Please tell me you're joking, I said, shaking. Are you okay, Frank? You sound weird, Kara replied. Why did you have to buy one of the paintings, I asked. What? You know I like macabre things, she chortled. Don't be a baby. You stare at those paintings all night. What's so wrong with having one of them in our living room? I I don't even... I don't understand why Amy would sell her sister's work, I said. Well, I pulled her aside for a chat after you showed me around the gallery. Honestly, I can't believe it took you over a year to give me a tour. Such beautiful paintings. Disturbing, but beautiful. Harper Andrews is incredibly talented. What happened to her is sad, Kara sighed. You just made an offer that Amy accepted, I asked. She claimed to have little attachment to it. She said it isn't one of the paintings that demands eyes upon it. Seemed a rude comment because I think it's as great as the rest of her sister's art, but Kara began. I have to go, I interrupted, hanging up the phone. It was an hour or so before my night shift, but I arrived early. Amy Andrews was engrossed in conversation with the last few gallery visitors of the day, but I quickly dragged her away from the crowd. Fury frothed to the surface of my lips. Why did you sell one of the paintings to Kara, I asked. Miss Andrews answered in an eerily flat tone. I come from a wealthy family, Mr. Hull, but I'm not that wealthy. I have limited income streams. I have to keep the gallery's lights on. Sure, I make money from memberships and fundraising events, but I try to sell paintings, too. But you know they need to be washed at all times, I protested. Not all of them, she said. And that was when I realized which painting was missing from the gallery. There was an empty spot on the wall above the plaque that read, Harper's Youth Dies. What have you done? I gasped. My sister's demented self-portrait might be horrifying, Mr. Hall, but it doesn't intend to harm us. It's not one that needs to be watched. And your wife paid handsomely for it, Miss Andrews explained, shrugging. I gripped my employer's arm in a moment of madness that could have cost me a job, and for all I know, the future of mankind. On that first night, Harper was the entity that kept watch over me. I hissed furiously. Your sister painted herself for a reason. Everything in this gallery has a purpose. Don't you understand that? For a flicker of a moment, I was certain that something flashed in Amy Andrews' eyes. Something black and the corner of her lip twitched as if to realize that she was well aware of what she'd done, but her mouth quickly returned to its normal position. I pay you to watch over the exhibit, she said. You shouldn't need anyone or anything to watch over you. Screw this, I spat. I'm going home, and I'm bringing that painting back with me. Miss Andrews huffed, glancing at her watch. Five minutes until your shift begins. I had to hurry. I drove home, mind racing from the horror of Miss Andrews' crooked grin. Did she intentionally sell the painting to sabotage the gallery, I wondered? 
Don't be foolish. If she were that evil, she could just leave the paintings unwatched, freeing the exactor into the world. Tried to still my throbbing heartbeat as I pulled onto our street. After hurriedly parking, I didn't even close the car door behind me. I raced into our darkened home and started screaming at the top of my lungs. Kara, where are you? In the living room, she shouted. Why are you yelling? I rushed into the lounge and my chest loosened a little. There was no sign of destruction. Just my wife sitting on the sofa in a well-lit room. Harper's youth dyes hung on a wall, but the girl's ghastly form remained in its canvas. I exhaled. What's your deal with this creepy little girl? Kara asked, laughing. I just... I have to take it back here. I'll make sure Miss Andrews gives us a refund. My wife rose to her feet and walked over to the painting, stroking Harper's featureless face. I shuddered in terror, waiting for the ghoul to leap free from its frame. I assumed that she wouldn't hurt us, but I wasn't certain of anything. Come and give her a stroke, my wife teased. She doesn't bite. I looked at my phone. I had a half hour until the start of my shift. Miss Andrews hadn't made it clear what would happen if I weren't on time. Given the diabolical glint in my employer's eyes, I feared she might do something worse than fire me. She might leave the paintings unattended. I'll buy us a better painting for the wall, I said. Something creepy from another gallery. Just anything other than a Harbor Andrews piece. Please. Would it make you happier if I were to draw a smiley face on her? Kara asked. My wife dipped her finger into her glass of water and I gasped as she drew a crude pair of dots and a pencil-thin smile on Harper's featureless face. Kara frowned at my gawping mouth. Relax, we own it, she said. Besides, it'll dry. Don't worry. I walked over to her and seized her hands tightly, taking a deep breath. Kara, I said gently, I'm begging you. She frowned. I know that look, Frank. You're genuinely scared, aren't you? What's actually happening? Just tell me and I'll let you take the panic back. You saw a ghost when you were young, didn't you? I asked. Kara nodded. My dad, shortly after the car crash. Hard to believe. Well, I know you believe. You said you once saw your grandma's ghost, didn't you? I nodded. Right. So we believe in spirituality. Well, this painting, all of Harper's paintings, are gateways to something unearthly, and that's why I guard them. Sorry for lying to you. My wife looked at me with fearful yet understanding eyes. You talk in your sleep, you know. We've been having nightmares for months, talking about a tall man and the end of the world. I knew something was wrong. The lights suddenly cut out, and when the wisp of wind, like a hissing voice, filled the room. Kara shrieked and leapt in my arms. I shuddered, keeping her close to my chest so she couldn't see what I saw. Harper Youth Dies The watery marks on Harper's featureless face glowed faintly in the darkness. The most terrifying part was that the droplets that formed her smile had inexplicably transformed into a sulk. Kara, I'm going to take it back now, okay? 
I asked in a whisper. My wife nodded, face burrowed deeply into my chest. So I guided her to the bedroom and instructed her to shut the door. I checked my phone, and I was horrified to see I only had 20 minutes until my shift started. I seized the painting from the wall, sprinted out of the house, and lunged into my car. When I arrived at the art gallery, the lights were off. Amy's car was nowhere in sight. Fortunately, I was on time for my shift. I had no way of knowing how long she left the place unattended. I hurried inside and immediately hung Harper's youth dies above its plaque. The gallery was complete. Everything was in its right place. I looked at the painting of the exactor and I was relieved to see the monstrosity was still encaged. But something felt wrong. There was a churning chasm in my gut. You're not in the art gallery, Harper's entity whispered in a clunky, garbled voice. Colors of my surroundings started to swirl. The gallery walls, the floor, the paintings, and even my hands appeared murky. The world was composed of paint. I was composed of paint. And when I looked at the street outside the gallery windows, I was terrified to see the towering edges of the paintings frame. I was trapped in prison. Harper's depiction of the art gallery. I could see the real world beyond the canvas. My memories flooded back. When I had entered the real art gallery, the exactor tricked me. He stood in his painting and everything seemed fine. I looked into those horrible white eyes and that's when its mouth tore open to swallow me. I screeched into the hellish nothingness. Never had I felt such nightmarish horror before, not even on my first night in the gallery. It was worse than death. I thought I'd entered hell itself. I thought I'd failed at my job and the rapture had commenced. I thought of so many perturbing possibilities as the exactor blackened void engulfed me. Squirming inside his lightless body, I was carried by the inhuman man across the gallery floor and he aggressively spat me into the canvas of prison. But I'd forgotten that. He'd made me forget that I'd left the real world. It's looking for an exit, Harper's voice croaked. <laughs> me too, I cried. I looked at Harper's youth dies, but she wasn't there. In her place, there was a doorway with a flickering green exit sign above it. I felt the brush strokes of that painted world stretch and strain. The canvas was crushing me. I didn't belong there. My painted form tightened, and I rushed to the doorway that Harper had created, terrified of what might happen if I were to stay in that false world for a moment longer. As my hand met the painted canvas within the painted canvas, my body liquefied and merged with the exit. A blackness, still and serene, enveloped me. And then I found myself lying on a tiled floor, a real tiled floor, choking. Back in the real world, or so I hoped, I gazed across the gallery, and my eyes met a terrible sight. The contents of every painting had spilled onto the floor. The exactor stood proudly amidst his inhuman followers, plodding in a sharp whisper. I'd expected a cacophonous roar of noise from the apocalyptic demons, but something about the near silence of their scheming was even more frightening. Still in the distance, 
I can hear human screams again, the apocalyptic sound of mankind being tortured endlessly. The agonizing screams were almost tuneful in a terribly dissonant way. Choral screaming. Humanity's horrifying outro. Suddenly, in unearthly unison, the many exactors snapped their heads backward to face me as if the brittle bones in their necks had jellied. I screamed at their upside-down faces, which hung over their emaciated backs. They were wide-eyed and slack-jawed, eyeing me from the middle of the room. They wheezed as their skin sizzled beneath the weight of my eyes upon them. Back to your paintings, I feebly shrieked. There was nothing commanding but my tone. Pure terror drove me. and The exactor could see that. His eyes pierced mine. In them I saw nothing, the absence of anything. By that I mean the end of everything. End of man, the end of ends. He tried to fill me with dread beyond imagination, and he succeeded. But it was the same fateful error that he made on that first night. I thought of Kara, my parents, my friends, everyone I loved. That was what motivated me to persevere whilst my eyes watered under the strain of looking at those unearthly men. Their ghoulish voices chittered that I must either close my eyes or die. I didn't fall for their egregious schemes. I clenched my fists, armed only with my eyes and sheer willpower. The minions retreated first. Flesh burning, they scurried backward, dragging their upside-down heads and misshapen limbs with them back into the flames of their painted paradises. And it'll always be a dream, I promised myself. But the exactor remained, mouth gaping so wide that it hung past his shoulders. Smoke billowed from his searing torso and raggedy trousers. In one final fit of rage, he took powerful strides towards me and outstretched one of his slender arms. I caught his wrist before those gnarled, ghastly fingers could wrap around my neck. But the pain was unexplainable. It was a deep burning of the mind, not the body. The exactor's last-ditch attempt to incapacitate the guard who was standing between it and the apocalypse. I saw Kara. She was sitting in our living room, smiling at something on the wall. I could only watch in unbridled horror as her flesh melted before my very eyes. Terrifyingly, she continued to smile, even when she had been reduced to smoldering, bloody meat on the sofa. The exactor showed me what she saw. On the wall, there hung a painting of our house burning to the ground in the midst of mankind's total annihilation. On the streets, the exactors inflicted unspeakable acts upon humanity. A demon gutted a woman with the protruding bone from her own severed limb. That's the only scene I can put into writing. The rest are too dreadful. But I knew it wasn't real. I knew the exactor was playing mind games. I stood my ground. My eyes ached under the intense strain of watching that unholy apparition. But the exactor caved first. Unable to endure my gaze upon it, it wriggled its wrist free from my grip, taking what appeared to be excruciating steps back to its canvas. And when it returned to its frame, the choral screaming ceased. All sounds ceased. 
The gallery was still and silent. I spent the rest of my shift standing in that exact spot, eyeballing the paintings before me. I didn't speak, and I didn't move. Before I left the building, at the end of my shift, I quickly glanced back at prison, the painting that trapped me. Existential dread gripped my heart, and four months later, it still hasn't released me. I can't stop thinking about how it felt to be within that canvas. How will I ever know that I'm in the real world? I might be living in a painting right now. Since my first shift, nothing has been the same. Every passing day feels worse than the last. The impending apocalypse casts a long shadow over my life, and I worry about something other than the exactor. Amy Andrews. Something's wrong with her. Perhaps I should speak to the one person who could actually give me some answers. I hope you're enjoying Unguarded by Dominic Eagle, as performed by yours truly. If you've enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by simply visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash eagle. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash E-A-G-L-E. A reminder that on Reddit, he can be found under The Eagle Strikes, but stay tuned. Later this year, you may be hearing a new story from him on this program. Thanks again for your support of this program and tonight's featured author. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Sounds like things are really not going well for our friend, are they? Seems like no matter how hard he tries, some supernatural being just keeps moving closer and closer to destroying our world. Well, maybe things will perk up a bit if you can just get a chance to speak with the creator of these works. It should get better from there, right? Without further ado, I return to you the second half of Unguarded. Yesterday afternoon, I visited Harper Andrews at the local psychiatric ward. I know why you're here, she said. The woman was slender and she wore pristine white attire. Her brunette hair was glistening in the midday sun. It hung in prim and proper plates, which made me shudder. She was the spitting image of her painting. Harper's youth dies. That was unnerving, 
giving that she was a couple decades older than the painted version of herself. Harper smiled, motioning to the seat opposite her in the deserted canteen. I nodded awkwardly and slumped into the stiff plastic chair on the other side of the table. A member of the staff loitered in the canteen doorway, keeping a watchful eye over us. Two years on the job, right? Harper asked. You already know your role. You would have summoned the courage to visit me a long time ago if this were only about the exactor. I shivered at the very mention of the name. I'm not blaming you, Harper continued. I just don't beat around the bush. My sister isn't evil. In fact, she's a kind-hearted woman. And maybe part of her is still in there, but it's not the part that's in control. Amy longs to free the exactor and the others. I paused for a long time, staring into the dejected eyes of the woman before me. She looked sharp, focused. Well, not at all what I had expected. Why, why haven't you? If Amy poses such a threat to everyone, then we should, I trailed off. Harper sighed, reading my mind. Yes, I suppose killing her would have brought an end to things, wouldn't it? Yet somewhere deep down, she's still my sister. I'm sorry. And why, you might wonder, hasn't she already freed the creatures from their painted prisons? That final question is the one that really needs to be answered, I think, I said. Harper nodded. Do you have your phone with you? Yeah, I replied. Why? Record my story, she said. I need you to document the knowledge that I'm about to pass on to you. Nobody has ever believed me, but you will. You've seen what's at stake. This is the transcript. The year was 2003. I was eight years old, and Amy was in her 20s. My birth certainly caused an upheaval. Mom was a full-time lawyer, and Dad was a historian. They thought their days of parenting were long behind them. Mom, did I ruin Dad's life, I must ask. You were the best curveball that life threw at us, darling. My mom promised, and we chuckled. Dad loved us, but he spent so much time abroad. We didn't see him often. He wasn't quite so busy or successful in his youth, so I think he worried that he'd been a better father to Amy. One fateful day, he sought to rectify that. Machu Picchu, he said. Let's go, you and me. What's in... Pikachu, I asked. My father laughed. Machu Picchu. It's a lost city. I think you'll love it. You could paint it. Your talents are wasted on the dull scenery around here. I didn't think I'd enjoy ancient ruins, but I couldn't pass up the opportunity to spend time with Dad. Plus, he seemed so excited about the place. It was stunning. My eight-year-old brain wasn't immature enough to overlook that. After hours of watching my father excavate what he called a point of interest, the man finally started to dance jubilantly. I stopped painting to see what had enthralled him. The fruit of his labor was a large slab of stone, and it was covered with dreadful etchings of ghastly creatures. My dad started jabbering ecstatically about the magnitude of what he'd uncovered. 
He spent a decade connecting dots between the mysterious vanishings of advanced cultures. There were indicators of a destructive force, a plague greater than anything earthly. He said there were entities that sought to destroy humanity, though their origin remained a mystery. They certainly weren't bound by physical laws. My father uncovered detailed writings on rituals that successfully contained the abominations. He said salvation always came from imprisoning the entities, that they couldn't be killed, and they would always seek freedom. That was what terrified me. They would always seek freedom. And my father held their prison in his very hands. He had unearthed something which should have been left alone. I can't explain it, but I always knew that it was more than a story. I felt something when I looked upon that slab of stone. Not darkness. Emptiness. An absence of anything. When we returned to England, I slipped into my father's study and found his translated text. I had a terrible feeling about the stone slab that he'd brought home. So I studied the ritual that could imprison the entities. It involved detailed drawings and a watcher. But who was watching the drawings whilst they were being buried beneath the earth in Machu Picchu? Nobody would transpire. My father's research seemed to suggest that the Inca artist in Machu Picchu had uncovered a new ritual, something that allowed the Incas to trap the demons more successfully than their predecessors. If my father had only let it be, he would still be living a normal life, Frank Hall. The demons would have been imprisoned forever. None of us would be in this mess. Things quickly took a dark turn. My parents started bickering about that stone slab. Dad would obsessively stare at it until the early hours of the morning. He said it spoke to him. When my mother couldn't take it anymore, she left. Amy and I were distraught, and we hated our father. That was when my sister did something stupid. One awful evening, she destroyed the stone slab with a sledgehammer. The exactor and his deformed creatures steadily rose from the shattered stone, and I fled the lounge. It was the moment I dreaded, the prophecy which had riddled me with nightmares. I locked myself in my bedroom and unboxed the paintings that I'd completed weeks earlier, anticipating something foul. To imprison the freed demons in a new picture, however, a ritual was required. Like countless artists before me, I dislodged one of my teeth. I'll spare you the gory details. Bloody-gummed and teary from the agony, I started to shakily etch my name into each of the paintings with my baby tooth and the most horrifying thing happened. One by one, black masses started to slither under my door. The creatures were unwillingly latching onto their painted forms. They were encaged in the new prisons that I had created. Weaker prisons, but they held, as long as they were watched and guarded. And then the house fell unnaturally still. So I crept out of my bedroom and called for my family. When I entered the living room, I shuddered. The demons were gone, but my dad was sitting in his rocking chair. 
His eyes were vacant, and he was smiling. It was a wicked grin. Something beyond your darkest imagination. Blood oozed through finger tears in the fabric of his shirt. He'd been clawing at his own flesh. He was still alive, but he didn't move a muscle or utter a word. He just grinned. Amy, meanwhile, was curled on the sofa in a fetal position. She was bawling her eyes out. When the police arrived, they discovered something disturbing. Mum never left. Her body was discovered in the garden shed by responding officers. She'd been decomposing for weeks. I never saw this scene, but I vividly remember one of the paramedics vomiting on the grass. Our father went to prison, and Amy became my guardian. I explained everything to her, but she didn't believe me. Even after what she witnessed, she didn't believe in the demons. So, I kept a daily watch over the paintings, and years later, I used my mother's inheritance money to open the art gallery. I thought it would lessen the burden if other eyes were on the paintings. Amy helped run the place. She had her hands in various money pots, so she didn't mind that the gallery was a bit of a money burner. However, one day, she changed. My sister came home from the gallery with a distant look in her eyes, a look that reminded me of Dad. She told me that she finally believed my story. She saw the exactor step out of its painting. I couldn't always be at the gallery. But Amy promised she would never leave the paintings unattended. She admitted that she had gone out to grab some food before locking up for the evening. If she hadn't returned in time, I I suppose you and I wouldn't be having this conversation right now. The world would have already ended. Anyway, my sister changed over the following years. She grew cold and distant. I started to see a darkness in her eyes. And she spoke in a voice that wasn't hers. I became so fearful of her and her malevolent smile that I had a nervous breakdown. And that was her ticket. Well, the exactor's ticket. She had me committed to this ward four years ago. I suppose the exactor thought that without me in the way, she could puppeteer Amy to free him from the painting. All she had to do was make sure nobody looked at him. But Amy would have released the exactor already, you're thinking? After all, it employs slaves to free itself. It utilizes psychological warfare seeping into people's minds. At its behest, I'm certain my father must have destroyed whatever Incan tool was used to etch the drawings on the stone slab. If it had so wished, that terrifying creature would have driven my sister to kill me, much as it drove my father to kill my mother. So, why haven't things already fallen apart? Well, I have something that the exactor needs. The tooth. Even if Amy were to close her eyes, it wouldn't be enough to free the entities. Painted prisons cannot be destroyed until the tooth is destroyed. I'm aware that it sounds like watching these paranormal prisoners might be unnecessary. After all, as long as I keep the tooth hidden... They can never fully free themselves. Sure, they can wander, and they can play tricks on minds, but they can't exact their plan of mankind's destruction. You can just quit your security job and call it a day. There's no way that the exactor can fulfill its destiny, right? 
Now, the problem is that an unwatched exactor becomes freer with every passing moment. Free to locate me without Amy's help, perhaps, and infiltrate my mind to find the tooth. That's why you're so important, Frank. As long as someone keeps watch, these abominations remain in their paintings. It's a prison, that's all. And you're... The prison guard, I finished. Right. Their real power lies in servants. My dad, and now Amy. She visits me often, and she only wants one thing from me. The tooth. But I still hold the power. My sister does what I say. Otherwise, I've threatened to end things. Then the secret would die with me. And that's everything, Frank Hull. The rest is a mystery, even to me. I stopped recording at that point, and I exhaled deeply. There was so much information to digest. Amy's trying to sabotage things, I explained. She let Harper's youth die out of the gallery. Harper sighed. Might be time for me to... No, I didn't mean that, I firmly said. Harper's eyes were brimming with tears... I'm tired, Frank. I'm so tired. I'm just one person. You're not alone, I said. I'll keep watch. She sniffled. And what happens when you reach your breaking point, eh? Maybe this is bigger than us. Maybe we need to tell someone. I scoffed. Boo. The government? You think that would be a good idea? Give the exactor hundreds of minds to infiltrate? It's dangerous enough that your paintings are visible to the public. You and I won't live forever to fight the good fight, Harper pointed out. We must keep looking for people to take up the mantle. Or maybe we'll eventually figure out that Incan artist did try to truly seal the lid on these monstrosities, I said. He found a way to put them in the bin for good. No watcher needed. Harper sighed. I guess there's one more thing you should know. What? I asked. The tooth, she said. It's in our house. Whoa, stop, I barked. What are you doing? The secret dies with you, remember? Yes, but Amy's never going to stop looking for it. So you need to keep her away from the... Harper began. Please, I begged. I don't know why you're telling me this. Something isn't right. I looked up to find the orderly had left, and that was when the clamp tightened on my gut. The sun seemed to dim, and an emptiness filled the room. I know that sounds like a contradiction, an all-consuming emptiness, but I'm sure Harper felt it too. Her eyes widened. Frank, Harper croaked, is there a red Range Rover in the car park? legs trembling. I crept over to the canteen window and squinted. A graying cloud hovered heavily above, and a blue sky lay beyond the solitary omen. There seemed to be no other hospital visitors. Besides my white Mitsubishi, there was only a crimson Range Rover in the car park. Frank, Harper began, you need to... A splintering sound echoed around the canteen, and I spun around to see something sickeningly sinister. Harper's neck had been snapped backward. Her upside-down head hung over the back of her chair, 
much like those menacing exactors in the art gallery so many months before. In the doorway of the canteen, there stood a figure too tall for the frame. I screamed, squinting my eyes. But it was Amy. She seemed to be a regular height, but I know what I saw for a fleeting second. The exactor. I chased her out of the building, heart racing, as I prepared to meet a similar fate as Harper. But the exactor spared me. Besides, Amy was nimble. I was no threat. She had driven away before I could reach her. I knew that it was already over. The dilapidated childhood home of the Andrews sisters harbored secrets. Though I was armed with Harper's knowledge, the brutish building still intimidated and mystified me. The terror stemmed from more than vines creeping up walls or the gratified innards of the long-abandoned abode. It was the place's unearthly aura, lingering evil from the horrors that had unfolded twenty years earlier. Why did Harper tell me where she'd hidden the tooth? Perhaps the exactor wormed its way into her mind, finally succeeding in tricking her. I blame myself. She was careful for so many years. She lowered her guard around me. She lost herself for a second. That was all the exactor needed. As soon as Harper exhausted her usefulness, she was slaughtered. I could still see her mangled neck draped over the rigid back of that plastic canteen chair. The basement was a lightless hovel that carried a damp smell. I illuminated the cobweb-ridden room with my phone, and something elicited a blood-curdling scream from my horse's throat. Amy. She was on her knees, shivering in the center of the room. She didn't even shield her eyes from my light. She merely stared into my face with a blank, dejected expression. And I realized something horrifying. The exactor was gone. I couldn't see the darkness in her eyes anymore. And if the creature had no use for servants, that could only mean one dreadful thing. The end was nigh. A bottle of hydrochloric acid confirmed that. It lay beside a gaping hole in the floorboard's woodwork. Amy had destroyed Harper's tooth. The only thing giving our eyes the power to imprison those frightful entities in their painted cells. That meant the ritual had been broken. My, my family's dead, Amy sobbed. It was as if she'd been in a trance for years, and only at that moment, decades later, could she finally process the awfulness of what had befallen her loved ones. Don't worry, I coldly replied, struggling to empathize. Soon everyone will be dead. The woman bawled, and I kept seeing her younger sister's neck very neck that Amy had viciously snapped several hours earlier. It was hard to trust her. How long has it been, I asked, pointing to the acid-formed cavity in the floor. I destroyed... It destroyed the tooth shortly before you arrived. Within the hour, perhaps, Amy absent-mindedly replied, and nodded. And how long do you think we have before the world ends? She sobbed. When I freed them as a child, they, they took time slithering out of the slab. They began constructing legions of 
creatures from the very dust of our house. Harper must have been upstairs for a couple of hours. The world didn't end. Aside, let's just savor Earth's final hours before hell opens. Listen, I've been reading my father's books, Amy sniffled. The only ones left in this ransacked house, anyway. If we hurry, we could maybe... I think it's over, I said. Amy's eyes sharpened in her brow furrowed as she locked her gaze onto mine. But it wasn't evil that I saw in her eyes, not the exactor. No, it was resolve. The final dregs of a desperate human's resolve. That's it? What about Kara, she asked. Are you going to let everything end? Well, what can we do? As we speak, the horrors are crawling out of their paintings. It won't be long before they wreak havoc upon mankind. And we're not exactly artists, so I doubt we could whip up. I trailed off, possessed by an inspired idea. The covered paintings on the gallery's top floor. Exact copies of the ones downstairs. I whispered. Amy slowly nodded, gathering my drift. Right. Harper's backups, backups for screw-ups, she used to say. The name-etching ritual must be performed by the original artist, I asked. Amy shrugged. Texts only dictate that the ones who use a sacrificial etching tool, their tooth, will bind the apocalyptic abhorrences to their drawn likenesses. So... I were to etch my name into each of Harper's backup paintings. I thoughtfully whispered, delicately tapping one of my teeth. Then I sighed. We're miles away. It would be all over before we could reach the gallery. Amy's eyes wandered. You know, there are other ancient rituals that our father detailed in his translated texts. Mayans, Incas, and other ancient cultures learned things that modern people have forgotten. When their cities fell to ruins, the survivors utilized centuries of spiritual teachings to encage the exactor and its legions in prisons. But they used the power of art for other things, too. What ritual could save us? A painting of the gallery, she answered. We could use it as a doorway to the real gallery. My blood froze. I immediately recalled my terrifying experience in prison, being trapped in a painting that I truly believed to be reality. Harper's ghoulish child form freed me from the hellish place with an exit doorway. But I swore to myself that I would stay firmly grounded in the real world for the rest of my life. Never again would I blur the line between reality and fiction. And yet, Amy was suggesting I willingly step back into that existential hellishness. And how would I ever know that I've returned to the real world, I asked. I could be trapped in another painting. It might all be an illusion. This wouldn't be like the other paintings. It'd be a doorway, not a prison. You can feel the difference between painted color and real color, she said. Even when you were in prison, part of you always knew that something was wrong. 
I know it's nearly impossible, but you have to trust me. Or failing, trust yourself. Amy was right. A painted lie could never convince a person forever. But how could I be sure? Even now as I speak, I consider that I might have been tricked. Perhaps I'm still trapped in a painting. Perhaps the world has ended outside of my prison canvas. But I had to agree. After all, the alternative option was the certain extinction of humanity. Time was of the essence. But we're back at square one, I pointed out. We need a painting of the art gallery to serve as the gateway to the real gallery. Do you know how to paint? Can you create a believable likeness of the art gallery on a canvas? I certainly can't. I think you underestimate just how many paintings my sister created in her youth, Amy said, smiling. She guided me out of the basement on shaky legs, continuing to explain things. We moved to England because Harper couldn't bear this place anymore. But we also moved because I had business contacts in your country. Anyway, I found the perfect little spot for my teenage sister's art gallery. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like, if casual and cool, had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Ooh, we're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-patrollable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Amy continued her story as we clambered up the creaky stairs. So what was the first thing Harper did when I showed her the property I had in mind for her art gallery? 
she painted it. The new prison for her macabre paintings. She said it gives a building power to be included in the ritual. Of course, I didn't believe in her deluded ramblings back then. I'd convinced myself that none of the supernatural horrors really happened on the night that I destroyed the stone slab. Anyway, Harper left the painting of the art gallery at this house. She said she'd do a better one at some point. The one which became prison. Do you think a rough early draft, so to speak? Is a good enough likeness of the art gallery to work, I asked. Amy gulped. I really hope so. I don't want you to become trapped in some non-existent painted room. A half-human, half-paint splintered thing? No thanks. A great pep talk, I said. Really makes me want to do this. Amy opened the door to Harper's bedroom and matter-of-factly replied, Not like you have a choice, is it? Unless you want me to do it. I shook my head. I didn't trust her enough for that. Inside Harper's old bedroom, a stack of half-finished paintings lay on her dusty, neglected duvet. Amy and I sifted through the pile, eventually finding Harper's early attempt at creating prison. Obviously, before moving to England and turning the property into an art gallery, Harper's visions of grandeur were a teenage fantasy. Fortunately, her painted vision was not too far removed from what the art gallery became. I wanted to do something for her. Amy somberly explained, cradling the painting. After Mum and Dad died, Harper wasn't the same. I thought a place for her art would help her heal as much as the paintings horrified me. I didn't want to talk about Harper. The horror was too fresh, too raw. How about we turn prison into a doorway to the real art gallery, I asked. Sacrifice, Amy quietly replied. Every ritual demands sacrifice. Hasn't that always been the way? So, another tooth, I asked. Bend the construct of space, mine's bent the mind. That's what my dad wrote in one of his unprinted books, Amy said, handing me a bottle of Jack Daniels. I laughed. You're kidding me. I need to drink to save the world? To travel elsewhere, you have to loosen the connection to your present position in space and time, Amy replied with a deadpan expression. I guess harder drinks might work. This is all I've got, a bottle of Jack. I planned on drinking myself to death before you arrived. I slugged most of the liquid down my throat, ignoring the burning sensation and the desire to vomit. Hush the canvas, Amy instructed, pointing at Harper's painting of the art gallery, and repeat the following words after me. Try to pronounce each syllable clearly. Placed my hands on the early version of prison. Amy Andrews began to speak in an ancient language, and I followed suit. After several minutes, the alcohol started to hit my system, and I had to concentrate incredibly hard. I didn't want to slur a single letter. The colors of the painting started to swirl, and then something horrifying happened. My flesh began to melt. I shrieked truly believing that Amy Andrews had deceived me. I watched my skin liquefy, meshing with the canvas, and my jaw dropped in terror. It's working, Amy cried. Good luck, Frank. What about you? I murmured, slipping into the canvas. 
Amy smiled tearily. Every ritual demands a sacrifice, Frank. The line between fiction and reality disintegrated. What remained of Harper's bedroom had transformed into a swirling whirl of painted colors. But I saw Amy Andrews clearly. I saw that blue painted tear trickle down her peachy, textureless cheek. I saw the blade that her painted form produced from her pocket. The colors started to mix, but I knew what she did. I tried to scream at the horrifying sight, but my face was composed of a dripping painted liquid. My limbs slowly warped out of shape and I felt nothing. The absence of sensation was the true terror. My eyesight blurred as the vibrant kaleidoscope of colors seemed to bulge and spiral. The painted art gallery grew to fill the room and my body became sloshy paint on its seemingly ceaseless canvas. Then I fell onto the darkened floor of the real art gallery. Nobody had been watching the painting for hours, not that it mattered. After the destruction of Harper's Tooth, eyes were powerless against the exactor and its legions. The ritual had been broken. Resolving to fix that, I pulled myself to my feet. The world hadn't ended. There was time, but the gallery's eerie silence horrified me. Not as much as the first thing I noticed, of course. Empty paintings. Every painting but Harper's youth dies had been abandoned by the monstrosities that I was supposed to guard. The girl sat in her painting with her faceless head in her hands. She was sobbing, and I felt like doing the same. Her painted form seemed even more terrifying in the wake of the real Harper's diabolical demise. She mumbled, slipping her head out of her hands and motioning for me to come closer. As I did, she leaned out of her canvas, placed my ear against her face, shuddering as it slipped beneath her flesh. They're destroying the upstairs painting, she whispered but they won't find the apocalypse. Before I could ask what she meant, her canvas flopped out of its frame and softly floated to the tiled floor. I gasped at the hidden painting on the back of Harper's youth dies. It depicted everything, every terrible entity, every apocalyptic situation necessary to keep the demons lost in their false paradise. Clearly, that hidden painting had always been Harper's real plan B, a more efficient way of trapping the creatures. Only one painting to watch, and only one name to etch. Heart throbbing against my chest, I plunged my hand into my mouth. Pinching a canine with my thumb and my index finger, I took a deep breath. Closing my eyes, I tugged with all my might, pain was excruciating, but what made it worse was that I couldn't seem to free the slippery canine. I needed a tool to loosen the ritualistic instrument. I ran over to the reception desk and rummaged around in a drawer for a pair of scissors. Another deep inhale, then I started to slam the blades into... Well, I eventually dislodged the tooth. The blood gushed in a free-flowing waterfall. Hand trembling, I victoriously held the canine up to my eye and began to laugh deliriously. I was inebriated, 
and I'm sure that eased the pain, but it still hurt like hell. Drunkenly stumbling toward the apocalypse which lay on the ground, I finally saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Hope for humanity. The end of that dreadful evening. And then the front door opened. Frank, Kara cried. Where did you go? I spun around, shakily outstretching an arm. Kara, go, go home. My wife's eyes grew and she screamed at me. Look out! A heavy hand constricted my throat, not a human hand. I already knew what had seized me. The weighty wave of hopelessness and existential dread was unmistakable. As the hand hoisted me off the ground, the thing started to twist me around to face it. There, inches from my colorless face, was the exactor. Its wicked white eyes pierced mine, but that wasn't what filled me with horror. What terrified me was that its flesh wasn't sizzling under the weight of my gaze. No tooth, no imprisoning ritual, no power. That ever-gaping, ever-slack mouth suddenly closed, as if the creature were no longer furious. In its place, the demon offered a smile, the most abhorrent smile conceivable, the one I'm sure Amy and Harper saw on their father's face. The grin of a thing that had finally found a way to torture man for eternity. I wheezed, gasping for air as the skeletal creature, twice the height of any person, throttled my throat. I eyed the face of boundless power, a thing older than time itself, perhaps. The edges of my vision started to blacken, but I had no tricks up my sleeve. My eyes could no longer imprison it. Losing consciousness, I prepared to fade into oblivion. A sudden scream saved my life. The exactor dropped my body to the floor, more concerned with the spectacle in the main reception area of the gallery. I turned to face my wife and I screeched. Harper's ghoul had seemingly fled its painting, the canvas which still lay on the floor, displaying the apocalypse on the reverse side. I could only watch in helpless horror as the faceless monstrosity merged with Kara's body. The exactor unleashed its boat-horned cry, and its minions inexplicably seeped through the cracks in the tiles of the gallery floor, slinking their slender bodies into the room, morphing their flat forms into full-bodied limbs. I wondered where the cavalry had been hiding, and I suddenly saw why they were so animated. Kara's eyes rolled into the back of her head and her body began to levitate. Horrified, I wondered why Harper's childlike form had turned on us in our darkest hour. But then something incredible happened. Oh! Kara horribly hissed, eyes still rolling into the back of her head. Now I see. The exactors began to lurch toward my hovering wife and I watched in bewilderment as she effortlessly flicked them aside. The exactor paced across the gallery floor towards her, crunching the meager bodies of its henchmen beneath its feet. Kara and Harper couldn't kill the things, but they weren't trying to kill them. They were trying to buy time for me. Breathlessly spluttering from my swollen neck, I crawled across the floor, and when I reached the apocalypse... 
I opened the palm of my clenched hand to reveal my bloody canine. Writing tool in hand, I finally started to etch two crucial words into the painting. Frank Hall. Those coral screams sounded again. The symphony of dying people. But it wasn't real. It wasn't real. That was a good thing. It meant the exactor was trying to weasel its way into my head. It meant the ritual had worked. I looked up to see a gaping mouth of fury on the ten-foot-tall ghoul's face. Its minions began to decompose, turning into blackened masses of paint, much as Harper had described back in the psychiatric ward. The creatures slipped into the apocalypse, imprisoned in a painting once more. The exactor, of course, held onto our world for dear life, screeching under the weight of my eyes upon it. His flesh was a blazing inferno, and he released one final excruciating cry before slipping into the painting of the apocalypse. Only half-conscious, I stumbled over to my wife, who was lying on the floor in a dazed state. I... I just wanted to see your place of work again, she croaked. I cried a little after, relieved that Kara was okay. What happened to you? Cora coughed. I came to save you. No, I, I mean... Oh, right. The demonic possession, Kara said facetiously. It was still me in there. Harper just showed me the way. Honestly, I thought you learned your lesson the last time you strolled in here, I said. Kara smiled weakly. It's like I said, I had to save you. But the evening shocks didn't end with the re-imprisonment of the exactor and the other demons. In the early morning hours of my shift, Amy Andrews walked through the door. I gasped eyeing the bandaged stump that used to be my boss's right arm. But that wasn't what shocked me, of course. She was alive. I misinterpreted the severity of the sacrifice she made, and I think that revelation saved my fractured mind. I couldn't handle any more death. Amy's family suffered enough. Amy suffered enough. Locked out of her own mind for 20 years. I intended to keep Miss Andrews far away from the exactor, so he never sinks his claws into her again. We've talked about the future of the art gallery, but there's only one painting that really matters anymore. There's only one that's still fully intact. The apocalypse. And, well, Harper's youth dies on the reverse side, but that's our little secret. Amy Andrews said I can keep the job, and she's hired somebody else to watch the place during the day. Somebody we can trust. Somebody who understands the importance of the art gallery. Kara. We're not too happy about our new lives as prison guards, barely seeing each other. But maybe we'll find others who can help us in the future. Besides, this is bigger than us. Nobody can be shielded from the apocalypse. No risk can be taken. Too much is at stake. I'm a security guard who works the night shift in an art gallery. And I think I need a raise. I hope you enjoyed Unguarded by Dominic Eagle, as performed by yours truly. If you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author 
can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash eagle. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash E-A-G-L-E. Follow him on Reddit for more short and scary tales, or just wait a month or so to see if he has something very special on his plate for you. Thanks again for your support of this show and tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. Find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, Follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jari channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Jari. Stay tuned as the season keeps going. And until next week, stay spooky. And get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. 
If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>